Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Work Alchemy podcast series on impact, talking with entrepreneurs and organizational leaders who contribute to building a more cooperative and positive future. I'm Ursula York, the host of this series. I'm a mentor to business people who want to have a positive effect on the world around them, building strong businesses by creating value for their clients, team members, and the larger world. I am so passionate about sharing with you the stories of entrepreneurs and leaders who have impact. They're inspiring and energizing role models. I hope you use what you learn here to be inspired about what you can do in your business and beyond. For ongoing inspiration and support to get clear on your impact and put it into action, enter your name and email at workalchemy.com. Today's guest in this podcast series on impact is Lori Mulvey. Dr. Lori Mulvey is co-founder of World in Conversation, the largest university-based cross-cultural dialogue program in the U.S., Lori creates spaces where individuals can discover their own questions and respond fully to the challenges of divergent views. Her passion for cross-cultural dialogue and collaborative critical thinking has shown that listening changes minds and sharing personal stories changes hearts. In combination, these kinds of experiences transform perspectives. Lori's work at World in Conversation and her innovative social conflict course have attracted the interest of partners such as UNDP and NATO, along with local and regional organizations in Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, Kuwait, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, China, Afghanistan, Denmark, Bulgaria, Belgium, the Netherlands, Poland, Italy, Germany, and Thailand, and the list is growing. Lori is devoted to how people navigate, grow, and heal throughout their lifespan, and how all of this occurs in the context of relationships, family, small groups, cultures, and societies. Welcome to the podcast, Lori. I'm so delighted to have you here. I'm delighted to be here. So could you tell us a little bit about World in Conversation? I'm so interested in hearing more about the organization and what you do. Could you share a little bit about what what you're doing and in, in the various things that you're working on in that in that organization? Yeah, World in Conversation is a is a center for public diplomacy in the College of the Liberal Arts at Penn State University and we are devoted to training um, undergraduate students to become peer facilitators uh, who address with their fellow Penn State students mostly, but also their peers internationally, um, address contentious social topics um, in a way, in a productive, what we think of as a constructive way to um, think collaboratively together on, on issues from multiple perspectives. That's great. And is, is this something that uh, you put together with a group of people or did it arise out of some of the work you were doing before that? Well, it, I, you know, it's, it's a funny thing and kind of like where, where to start <laughs> with, with that. Um, to give a simple story, uh, working here at Penn State, as a faculty member, I, my husband also is um, a faculty member here, also in the sociology department. And um, at one point, the two of us 
um, well, we were here on campus when there was a student uprising which centered around uh, a race issue. And because we had been working with facilitators um, in our classes, we decided to devote those facilitators who had graduated from our work and were going on to other things at Penn State to campus-wide dialogues. We thought, hmm, let's find out what is going on. What are What is this generation thinking about race relations? Hmm. I mean, I was born in the 1960s, so there was a certain mindset that came with you know, race relations at that point. Maybe we just need to understand what's happening. And so um, a series of events happened that kind of just backed us into this. And folks definitely said, oh, you'll never be able to do this. You'll have people throwing chairs at each other. That's literally what one of the administrators said. And we said, ah, you know what, let's, let, we, we think we can, we, we can do this. Anyway, so we just started and uh, started making partnerships with different classes and professors and colleges and then here we are. Now we work with um, about six to 7,000 Penn State students a year just wow. having conversations right now. Wow. Um, I didn't realize that the, the program is so wide reaching. That's, that's amazing. Um, is, uh, I, I know you've touched on a number of social topics, not just race. You've gone into <laughs> gender and international issues as well and climate change. Is, is some of the international work that you're doing, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the, the international work, um, it actually started with some contacts that were made to us informally. Uh, someone was connected to a bunch of students and said, hey, would, do you have any students that would talk to our students? Just, you know, almost randomly. And we, so we started doing this and I would tell you completely failed at our first conversation. All the facilitation skills, everything went down the drain because it was a new medium to be with a screen in between these groups of people. So anyway, we kind of took it as a challenge and started actually working with that group of students internationally. And so then we we actually started finding some other people that wanted to do this. And eventually we got connected to some folks in NATO at the Innovation Hub in Norfolk, Virginia. And they got excited about the dialogues um, because they, they were working on ways to address the human environment um, in war. And so eventually, through a series of conversations, meetings, eventually a, a grant from NATO's Science for Peace and Security program, we are now putting cadets from academies across the NATO alliance into dialogue with university students in five different locations in Afghanistan, which is really just kind of a foundation for what would, could be in the future, um, a, a, what is the word I'm, I'm looking for, a required part of all NATO training where before you're deployed to a location, you would have already had a conversation with people, real people on the ground in that zone. So that's what we've been we've been working on. So our students who facilitate these cross-campus dialogues also facilitate these um, dialogues between cadets and um, civilians. I love that. I love that there's actual conversation going on in advance and of, of people being in these situations where there is conflict and where there's great potential for misunderstanding because the cultural differences are so great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it sounds like it has um, a really humanizing effect. It really does. And the thing about it is, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking of, you know, what is the topic? What should we focus on? And and often what is most meaningful to individuals involved are tiny moments that you'd never be able to predict. Like one small example is where a, a young man in F, well, 
there was a conversation happening and you could hear in the background in Afghanistan the call to prayer. And one of the cadets, I forget which country uh, he was, I'm sure it was he was from, just had this realization that not everybody just exited the room and went to the to prayers. Like they actually didn't do that. And he right. realized, wait, they're just kind of like me. Like I don't always go to church. And he felt like that, that that world was so different. You know, it didn't operate like that. Young people didn't make choices and about those kinds of things. And so that was a really big opening to seeing um, those those folks as people. And so you can never predict what what is actually going to happen, but a lot of things do. Right. And those little moments that can be so informative and really powerful. That's great. Well, it sounds like you think of yourself more as a facilitator in this process, a facilitator of talking and listening. Is that an appropriate way to put it? Absolutely. I I did do... It's, it's funny, you know, people always say, you know, what, what do you do? And now that I have this title where I'm directing this center, it's very easy to say I'm a director and let them think what they think. But even that doesn't fully fit me because I really do see myself as a facilitator. So when I was, quote, a teacher in the traditional sense, um, I really struggled with that role and found that I didn't feel capable of having um, a vision or an expert opinion that would account for everybody in the room, you know, because I'm in the social sciences and to think of things about families or relationships or adolescent or other kinds of development. How could I, this one individual human, know all there would be to, to know or say about family when people come from such different families and cultures, et cetera? So that was always a struggle for me, and I never felt comfortable and left Penn State a couple times because of that and said, I can't do this. It's crazy. But when situations came together and I started working with uh, student teaching assistants and kind of helping them to be teaching assistants, I realized, well, I still didn't know everything or even close to everything. And then when they would ask me a question, you know, what do we do in this circumstance? I would say, oh, God, I don't know. And then instead of just freezing, I would say, well, what do you think we should do? And all of a sudden, I started realizing that the brilliance and the creativity and the imagination was right in that room in the resources of all of the people in that room. And I'm just one of the resources. And um, so that my struggle to find the one thing that would apply to everyone no longer existed because everybody's perspective was in the room. And when we, we would come to solutions and we built this whole way of working, including the global work, through this process of using the Socratic method to teach ourselves. So, so yeah, I am a facilitator. That is what I am. And I now have come to a place of thinking that I'd love to see much more of our educational system based on facilitating knowledge instead of feeling we have to give it to people because mm-hmm. I actually don't think that's possible anyway. Yeah. So. Well, and that collaborative solution finding is so, so powerful for people because they, they're involved in it right from the beginning and they're, they are part of the solution, so there's an automatic buy-in. Absolutely. They internalize it. You know, it, it's, it's just, um, you know, all the things, the little tricks that I think teachers try to use to get people interested or to get them to remember things, you don't have to do because they came up with it, and so they internalize it, and it's theirs. And that's what 
we want. It just means that you can't have a lesson plan, and it means you can't control what lessons people are going to learn because you don't, I feel, we don't know what others need to learn, and no, nor maybe do they, although sometimes they do. And I don't, you know, so you really have to be able to let go of, of control. So that takes a lot. Yeah, I can see how that would be really scary for people to mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, people learn what they're going to learn anyway, but to, exactly. but to start out with that as the, ba- the, the kind of basis of it, where you have no control over that, it's, it's a very different kind of feeling than the, the old model for teaching. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's edgy in the work that I do, because it's, I'm always dealing with very politicized issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an entire class where we, you know, you mentioned the social conflict class where we use Israel-Palestine as a case study. And, you know, everyone wants me to make sure that people learn a certain thing that supports their way of, of thinking. <laughs> right. You know, similar with the U.S. race relations, you know, people want to make sure that people are told who the racist is or who the people with privilege are or who the whatever is. And, you know, I... And take a really strong position that that's not what I'm doing. I'm here to help people to understand the perspectives, understand the issues, understand what's at stake. And it's not my job to, for you know, to tell people what to think. I feel like that's. And so anyway, you can imagine that that can be pretty edgy. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, uh, I mean, I completely understand people's perspective, and they want to be heard. They want to absolutely. know that people appreciate their perspective and um, for you to create an environment where there's a real exchange of perspectives or opening people's eyes to that is that's a potentially contentious situation because as you said people come in with their very specific views mm-hmm. yeah I see a lot of the conversations on Facebook or, or in the media around um, for example the race issues that have erupted in the last uh, well, particularly in the last year or so, that uh, people have a very strong point of view, and it's um, it's it's an emotional thing for them. So, mm-hmm. and what I what I've learned, sort of a take home from all of the um, issues and conversations, is that we're not that far apart in terms of the way we think, even though we can have very different views. But the way, the emotion that we attach to a lot of that um, is is sort of what often is in the way of us allowing other people to have their perspectives and allowing those perspectives to be understood by us. Because a, a lot of, I would say, the static, even when I think of the current race issues with police and the black community in particular, is, is one example. I, I just think that the... The, con- the way the conversation occurs is as if they are much further apart than they really are. Um, and of course, I understand, you know, incredible things actually happen as a result of the- those misunderstandings and misperceptions. But the point is, as a person who listens to those conversations, I, I just want to wave a flag and say, we really aren't on that different of a team. <laughs> we just talk. So, and can we just learn? It's really that. It's really opening ourselves to hearing things we haven't heard before. And that, it's not about, oh, everybody should be friends and we should hold hands. It's not about that at all. It's actually really um, about thinking and allowing yourself to hear what someone's narrative is or hear an argument. And a lot of times we just don't hear it. Right. 
yeah, you're not necessarily looking for the kumbaya moment. It's it's really about even beginning a dialogue like that. Right. And even continuing to have your position, but with understanding and humanization of the other positions so that they can find a way to collaborate. Um, the world is full of these, you know, light and dark, day and night, sick and healthy. All these things exist and they always exist. So how can those things work together? Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of conversation we could have about that. <laughs> well. <laughs> Well, it's clear how passionate and excited you are about the work that you're doing. And, and you've touched on this um, a few times, different ways that you have impact on the students that you're working with and also on the people that you're, you're having dialogue with outside the university setting. What, what do you feel is the most important way that you have impact with the people that you work with? Um. You know, I don't know. <laughs> it's really the true answer. Mm -hmm. um, if I am just guessing, I think it is, it is to the extent that one that, so, it, you know, there are different layers, for example. So the students, who, the cadets and the civilians in Afghanistan who are having conversations, right? They're having one or two conversations. And I, and I, I would say the opportunity there for impact, at least from, from my perspective, is, is less because of the time involved. But if they can have their narrative heard, that is so affirming to a person. And I think the impact of that is, you know, is, is, can't be overstated, although it could be. And I don't want to say that that is changing the world because the facts on the ground don't just change from that. Right. But I think in terms of impact, you know, closer to day to day for me, is the, the work with students and facilitators that are here in my world is um, them having the opportunity to, to get out of their own way and allow themselves to learn in the ways that we're built to learn, which is a very innate process, and instead looking to other people to teach them to actually engage the world and teach themselves through experience. So we may teach them some principles about dialogue, et cetera, but it's not until they go in the, those rooms every night and actually face the situations and face the people and have to make decisions on the spot that they enter a, a, a character development process, a maturing process, um, an internalizing process that is priceless. And for me, providing the opportunities and to get out of their, their way myself and then have them get out of their own way, I feel like that's where the impact is because it's just – it's. It's like you're engaging the world from a completely different way, even though it's just a small shift. You know, everything that we've learned up until college is there's an expert that has the answer as opposed to you have it. And, and even if you don't have it, you better figure something out because you've got to do something in this moment, you know, and that's how it works. I mean, that's how the world works. So, yeah. you know, Barack Obama didn't know how to be a president until every day he had to face it, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that is it that's that's what impacts um the, the students here well what a great education or training ground in how the world works and and their ability to create situations and and put themselves in situations where they can actually do something meaningful i think that's uh that feels to me like a really positive aspect a powerful one of what you're doing and you know the organization itself the center itself is also it's a student-driven center, so just like all of the, 
the work, the methodology of the actual dialogue has been built with with their collaboration. So too is the center itself and the, the whole organization, all the administrative systems. And so we have um, almost um, every position is either a student or a former student. And anyway, so they're not only getting, some of the students are getting the experience of facilitating dialogues. Others are getting working with budgets, working with technology, working with marketing, working with, uh, you know, communications with stakeholders. And so there's all kinds of learning here. It's really a laboratory. The whole center is a laboratory for students to actually engage in real world learning. That's great. I, I didn't realize that the scope extended to that kind of thing as well. So, yeah. Have you, have you always felt that that work that feels so important to you that is around connecting people in a, in a really great way. Has that been part of your, your work always, or is this something that's you've kind of evolved into or, or become part of gradually over time? Yeah, I think, again, I can see threads throughout my life of, you know, caring about relationships and liking to hear people's stories, th things like that. But really, I had no idea what, what I was doing and what it was becoming and have resisted really every step of the way. Um, as I said, I left Penn State several times and something has always brought me back. Um, and I'm at a point now in my life where I've been so humbled by that and transformed really by this whole process. The same thing that the students are going through, I'm going through. I've just been here a lot longer. So I get, I have a lot more of the, of that experience, but it really is a passion that has, again, like I said, it has seeds in all kinds of ways in my life, but it, I've evolved with it. Yeah, that's great. Um, I think that's true for most of us to, uh, to have, developed into the work that we feel so strongly about now is is the the work that you're doing is it a reflection of your personal values one of the things that i've been asking people about in these podcasts interviews is is how values are interwoven with the impact that you have and I, my belief is that they are strongly interconnected so i'm i'm curious to hear your thoughts on that and whether your values have come into play and and how that is the case yeah i mean i think i'm clear that my values come into play every day and and that's an interesting thing for me because i'm in such a culturally diverse environment with you know students and staff from like all over the world and all kinds of backgrounds from the U.S. and so you know it's like hmm my values your values you know so I'm very aware of of the presence of that and having the cult a cultural bias in that and anyway that's just an endless conversation but um, I I do I think I so anyway as I was just saying a minute ago like I've been evolving in this process as well. And so, but I think I do value people in, and I believe people. So I know I've noticed that sometimes there are people who are oriented in a different way in the world and they're very skeptical of people and they often think people are lying to them or they're misrepresenting. And I tend to think if someone's talking about themselves, this is different than if it's like, you know, a daughter who's trying to like get you to do something for her and she's going to like, <laughs> 
adjust the truth a little bit. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying if someone is being sincerely asked about themselves and asked to explore their life, their culture, their perspectives, I always believe that people are doing the best to tell me the truth as they as best as they know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that there's a value in that of, about people and their essential goodness, you might say. I mean, that doesn't mean there aren't exceptions. It doesn't mean we don't all have shadows, but that there is in us, I think, a desire for health and happiness and uh, well-being. Um, and I don't mean, you know, the ability to like go to the movies, but I mean that deep inner sense of well-being, you know, not just entertainment and luxury. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I think that that's a value that I hold that you know, even when the most annoying person is constantly um, challenging what we're doing and whatever, what, I still, you know, I really sometimes get annoyed, but I also say they're, they're, they're trying to tell me something that I need to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, you know, that can get really tough when you work with a staff who you need to just, can you just get this done today? <laughs> and it's like, okay, wait, right. You can't get it done. What's going on? So it really, that value can really slow things down um, when you're dealing with systems and deadlines and um, timelines. And so it's, you know, you can, it's nice you're in a classroom, you know, blah, blah, blah. We have this hour and a half to talk about whatever we want to talk about. When I'm like relying on you to do something, that gets tested, right? Um, But that is a value that, that I hold and that we really try to operate with so that at every level we're, kind of employing the same ideals. Well, and that's such a valuable one to be aware of, because I think that's true for any of us who are leading groups of people in some way, that there's this uh, approach, this perspective that you have that you bring to it of, well, this person's trying to tell me something. And even if you have your normal reactions of, of annoyance or whatever pops up, you can still know that there's something to be learned here. And if you address it, it serves everyone ultimately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Because it's really easy. What I've learned over the years, I'm sure lots of people who have been in organizations and running organizations is, you know, there's always the person who's disgruntled. There's always the person that's hard to work with or the communication isn't clear. And I remember I used to think, oh, okay, that person left, you know, they graduated or they went and took another job. Okay, great. My problem is done. And it's like, no, it's not. It's always, there's always going to be that. So I tend to now see it more as a system and that somebody in the system has to express disgruntlement because there's always going to be something out of balance. And somebody has to make communication difficult because clearly like you're, maybe we're operating more robotically than we need to. And this needs to be said in a new way. So I really try to see this not as a personal, you know, some things are, of course, individualized and personal as they're, in terms of their expression, but there's, there's roles that we play that I'm like, these must be, these are, I guess this is kind of a functional argument, but must be functional for the health of this system. So right. try to listen to it. Yeah. There's something that you said too about uh, values being, there being a cultural bias in our values, and I, I understand what you mean, but in all the many dialogues that you've had, do you feel like there's some universality in certain values that we share? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely think that. Sometimes it's hard to put words on it because words always take us down all kinds of paths of argument, as we know. But, um, I mean, the basic um, 
values of trust and security um, are, are always, you know, needing to be trusted, needing to trust others, needing to feel secure, struggling with vulnerability, um, dealing with, you know, conformity. How much do I follow my culture? How much do I follow myself? I mean, they have different expressions and different sort of proportions throughout whatever culture you're talking about. But I never feel like we can't find um, enough common ground to stand on ever. Not just, we may express it differently, need more amounts of things, but it really, I haven't yet gotten to a place where I felt like, oh, wow, that is that cultural thing is between us in a way that we can't do this. And I really thought about and worked with the idea as we've um, engaged each new culture, especially internationally, like, Wait, do they are, are they interested in dialogue? Is this an American centric thing? Is it, are we doing this in an American centric way? So we're always asking ourselves those questions. But the people that are joining us from these other cultures are joining us because they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm not clearly we're only getting a very small slice of the planet. But you know, all I'm saying is that it, at least the boundaries aren't as clear as you're in this culture. I'm in this culture. There are. I'm sure many other ways we could find boundaries, but uh, we we haven't reached incredible limits. Of course, we're speaking in primarily English, so that also is a filter that has to be under you know recognized as right. well. Right. Yeah, I mean, I've worked with clients in different parts of the world, in Europe and Canada, in in South Africa, and in my conversations with people, it's really extraordinary to me how similar things seem to pop up for them in terms of what they value. So I, that's why I was curious to hear your your perspective on that. We just had a conversation literally right before I had this conversation with you, um, my social conflict class with um, student university students in the Gaza Strip. And it, this was my, the first time my students had had this engagement and they were, they were saying, can we find something that's different? Because I really feel like we're talking about all these similarities and they were surprised by that. Yeah. So anyway, it's just always fascinating to dig into that. Yeah. Well, even that's an education. It's an eye opener. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you talk about the, the um, impact that the, the work that you're doing as a, as collaborating with people on having, um, dialogue and and developing collaborative solutions is that something that you talk about in with potential supporters or or people that you might work with is that actively part of the conversation that that kind of impact um you mean when you're talking with people who literally financially support us or yeah. choose to yeah yeah I, I guess i'm i'm thinking of um situations in either an organizational or a business scenario where you're talking about the work that you're doing in an effort to explain it to others and to connect with them either to find supporters or uh, people that you might work with Um, and I, I was curious about how you approach that well you know it's really an interesting, fascinating, very live question. (laughs) Um, What I mean by that is, so yes, we're we're always trying to describe what we do and to talk about the impact and how transformative is the word that I'm always using, how transformative it, it, 
is, especially, again, for the student facilitators who do this work semester after semester. And um, first of all, you know, one, a couple people have said to us over the years, you have to find a way to capture the magic, which is a really great statement because what I'm talking about, what I see through my eyes is, is magical and miraculous and someone needs to see it. Once, when they're a part of it, they see it. I don't have to convince them. But when I'm thinking about stakeholders, p potential supporters who aren't in it every day, you know, it's, I, I've come to realize that it's almost impossible to communicate that. And what's tricky about it is, and this is, this is what I've recently learned in the past couple of years, is that people will say they know what you're talking about. So if I was explaining a product that I had or a process that I was um, wanting support for and someone, you know, I'm making, I'll use this, you know, I'm making widgets and they were like, wait, what's a widget? You would, I would know when they didn't understand. But when I talk about dialogue and communication and education, everyone says they understand, right? right? Because they know what those words mean. But they don't is what I've learned. I, I have learned in after great amounts of struggle, like, wait a second, you're working with us and you actually don't know what we're doing. <laughs> and you actually don't know the impact. And actually, you know, I can't even explain to you like that what, you know, some of the some colleagues at Penn State that who, who you know, again, like with the best of intentions, think that they understand it. And I'm not trying to make this out to be something that's hard to understand, but the magic of it, you know, the moment like when a teacher sees that a student just open their eyes and learn something, that aha moment that everybody's going for, well, how do you tell someone about that, you know, right. in absence of tests and those kinds of concrete things that I actually don't think support that information. But anyway, so I'm, one of the things that we actually just finished doing not long ago was creating, I said, you know what we need to do is create a children's story. Because if we can explain this to children at, who are five yeah. years old, I bet other people would get it. Right. So we wound up, um, we got a small grant and we created this online module that's on our, on our webpage that just in as a, like a cartoon just tries to explain what the role of a facilitator is in life. And, and why, I, and for me, I mean, a big piece of this has become not just supporting world and conversation and this, and what I think is really good work and this international work. But in the biggest sense, if we as a planet value what a facilitator can do to the level that I think its value is commensurate with its value, the whole world would be different. So yeah. I just want people to understand how many times there are a facilitator could change and transform what's happening. So that, that, that takes it to a huge level. Right. But for me, the, the, the ability to communicate this work and the impact can, is that big to me and is and is a problem that we're still trying to solve. Well, and I think it's the, the difficulty of any organization that's doing something that's so profound, profoundly shifting for people of, of, as you said, capture them, the magical and miraculous about it. And what you what you're doing is so fundamental to human connection that yeah. you're, you're you're changing the tenor of it to the point where real understanding can happen and I, I love that you're working with you created this um, thing for kids because that's where it begins so mm -hmm. yeah absolutely it's and one of our <laughs> one of our facilitators a couple semesters ago was saying because we were talking about this and he was saying we need to have this thing called like phone a facilitator so whenever you know you're in a 
thing with your roommates or with your parents or your spouse. You just call a facilitator <laughs> and have them join the conversation and actually help you to listen to each other and yeah. pause you and do all that good stuff. Wouldn't so that anyway. be great? <laughs> Phone-in facilitation. That's a great yep. idea. <laughs> Well, in the course of all this, you know, we talked about the, the many wonderful ways that you're doing this work. And, and of course, uh, it, as in anything worthwhile, there are going to be things that pop up that uh, feel like obstacles or barriers. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about a situation or scenario where you've come up against, against a, a, a barrier to having the impact that you want to have and how you dealt with that. Well, um, um, many barriers, many barriers, and and the very thing that is the power of this organization and the, and what excites me about it is also actually one of the obstacles, and that is using young people <laughs> to be facilitators um, because they're in a learning process and. So we're managing their learning process with now we're bringing in these thousands of Penn State students to have conversations with them, which is an amazing opportunity, mm -hmm. you know, that every college at Penn State almost is sending their students to World in Conversation to have at least one conversation here. And so for me, the, you know, the often missed opportunities that occur because the facilitators are learning, again, is both the joy of it all and is the part in me that thinks, oh, I wish all 6,000 of these people could have been, had the opportunity to be with like the most skilled facilitator, <laughs> if, if you know <laughs> what I mean. So right. a lot of times, um, and, and you know, then those moments of struggle or the moments that we miss become, you know, the learning moments. And that's really where kind of how I, how I sleep at night, but that is an obstacle. So we're always pushing, you know, could a facilitator do this program? Could they have this facilitation? And we're always pushing, pushing the boundaries. And, um, you know, sometimes we find that, nope, we actually can't do that right now. Right. People aren't ready or we have to do something different with our training. And so, so that like, you know, the quality control aspect of things, um, sometimes gets out from under us or it just requires constant, labor-intensive um, work to, you know, to, to currently, I think, uh, on this advanced team, we have 35 students, and that's a lot of dialogues to mm -hmm. be able to watch and to give, you know, um, converse support and conversation, and, right. you know, so it's just, it's an impossible task, ultimately, <laughs> but that is a huge, it's a barrier. Right. Well, is, is there any advice or insights you would share with people that are, are, wanting to do work that really makes an impact in their own environment or the larger world? Is there anything you would share with them? Um, I'm sure many things. Um, just thinking what would, this is one of those moments, like as a teacher, what's the one thing? That <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I guess I think, I, I'll just say that what I've learned is that my best work is actually not something that I was drawn to. <laughs> and like I said earlier, what resisted and would get thrown into and think, oh, wow, I did a good job there. And I really felt like I was kind of in a zone, but I'm not going to try to go do that again, or I don't know how to go do that again. Or So I think that there's so many unknowns in ourselves. And I think, and why I think that's important is because 
I don't know what it's all about, but it seems like we focus too much on what we think we know about ourselves. And life seems to also have a role in this, whatever that is, that has something for us. And I guess those things that keep coming back to us and keep drawing us in, um, there's probably something there to, to look at or to just at least pause with. Um, but it seems like being guided by only the thing. So I know there's this whole idea of like you should follow what you're good at and what you love, and I believe that. But I've also been gifted with the experience of not having any idea what I love or what I'm good at. <laughs> and, and yet still being put in places against my will almost. <laughs> and I don't mean that. But against what I would have chosen right. and found actually my whole life there. Mm. Yeah, I think that's great that you kind of listen to what it is that is calling you repeatedly uh, rather than, but yeah, what about this thing over here that I thought I wanted to do? Instead, you it sounds like you've done some really deep listening around what is what keeps returning to your awareness. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, and I think it's funny, you know, this is funny, but I, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a singer. <laughs> And I'm not a singer. And I've always thought, that's not fair. You know, that's the thing I love. How come I'm not a singer? <laughs> and what I realize is that so much of what I'm doing is about voice. Yeah. And, and it's just that kind of thing where, you real, where I come to realize that those clarities in us or urges in us, or maybe it's just the, the clarity of what we love may be um, not exactly what looks like, it looks like on the surface, um, but may go much deeper. And it's, to me, sort of the universe is in everything that we do. And so finding those threads in the thing that we're given, um, I think is always possible. Yeah. And your, your singing is, as you said, all about the voice and connecting through that on a, on a very profound level. So that's, mm -hmm. that's not so different from what you're doing now, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today, Lori. I, I, I so appreciate both what you're doing and the very thoughtful way that you're doing it and um, just your very collaborative approach in, in everything that you're doing with World in Conversation and, um, and and the the work that has come out of that so thank you so much for being here and for sharing your journey and your experience with us today thank you and thank you for your questions i always feel like good questions are a gift because it allows us to think about things that we hadn't thought of before so that's how i felt in this conversation great i'm really glad to hear that that's my goal so um, <laughs> i appreciate hearing it uh, so if people want to get in touch with you what's the best way for them to reach you well, I think the best way is our website, which is worldinconversation.org. And on that website, you can see that lovely slideshow that I was talking about, but also mm -hmm. there's a place where my contact information is and all the other great folks that I'm working with. That's great. Well, thank you. So join us for more podcasts on impact. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy podcast channel on iTunes or Stitcher Radio so you'll be notified as soon as new podcasts are available. Thank you to everyone listening for being here. And until next time, to keep that positive flow of energy going in your business so that you can have your own impact, join our community of entrepreneurs like you by entering your name and email at workalchemy.com.